Hey friends, welcome to the Cherry Hills Church Podcast. I'm Luke Martin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jenny Elliott. In this podcast series, we're discussing questions that you've asked about prayer so that we can all learn how to develop a deeper understanding and practice of prayer. Thank you so much to everyone who has participated in this by sending us a question. We would not be doing this if it wasn't for you. This is our final episode addressing your questions, but we will be releasing a bonus episode where we sit down with Pastor Brian Schwarberg and discuss unanswered prayer, which was a common theme that surfaced in several of the questions submitted. If you asked a question that had to do with unanswered prayer that we haven't gotten to yet, just stay tuned. I'm hoping we'll be able to uh, address those in our conversation with Brian. Our first question in this episode is, how does one pray without ceasing or be in constant communion with God when we do not work in a faith-supported environment? Well, I've been so immersed in the church bubble my whole life. I don't feel super adequate to speak to this from personal experience. Uh, I'll just say that the chief writers and thinkers on this topic of uh, constant prayerful communion with God will always talk about it as an internal reality rather than external. Um, but there's also a bit of irony here in that some of the most well-known writers on this stuff were like monks and hermits. So uh, Teresa of Avila, Julian of Norwich, Francis of Assisi. Uh, so, you know, certainly being entrenched in a community of faith, having a sustained period of, of solitude, I think that's conducive. But I don't think that a contemplative, a relational life with God is only accessible if you move into a monastery. Um, so I don't know. For starters, I'd recommend uh, beginning with Brother Lawrence's book, The Practice of the Presence of God. That's great, Luke. And I would say I have had the privilege of working in some secular environments. And one of the beauties of just a cultivated relationship with God is that no one has to know what you're doing. <laughs> you can silently live prayers to God all day long. And I honestly don't know how I would cope without that. Um, I'm reminded of Jesus's words in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. The environment you're in, whether faith is not supported, may be challenging, but the darkness makes the light shine that much brighter. As you stay connected to the vine, you'll be a bright light of the spirit in the world. And I think that's what God wants for all of us as we live out our relationship with him and whatever environment he sent us to. It's, it's us bearing his spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so here's our next question. Uh, pray for your enemies is easy to say, but less easy to do. What does actually praying for your enemies look like? If you can really pray about them with the same heart that praises God, are they even your enemy anymore? This is a hard one. <laughs> I think as I prayed about this, I realized the hard answer here really has to do with forgiveness. If you are still harboring anger or bitterness, when you think of this person, chances are you haven't forgiven them for what they have done or for what they have left undone. The process of praying for someone like this in your life that you are having trouble loving can break these strongholds. The actual hard plotting of the discipline of praying for these people can actually be the predecessor to your emotions toward them changing. Something in our, in our hearts can shift and break when we can actually um, bring this person before God. And to answer the last part of that question, if you can actually pray about them with the same heart that praises God with and with his heart for them, I might add, then I would no longer call them your enemy. And wow, it's so freeing when we can get to that place. Forgiveness is such a gateway to freedom. Yeah, totally agree. I don't um, have a lot else to, to add other than what, I guess, echoing what Jenny's already said. But um, I think praying from the heart can actually be an unhelpful thing in, in this particular instance, right? Jesus said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts. 
murder, adultery, theft, false testimony. Uh, if you want to forgive an enemy, if you want to be reconciled, don't wait around for a prayer from the heart, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that means angry people are going to pray angry prayers. Bitter people are going to pray bitter prayers. So when you want to pray for an enemy, pray for your heart, not from it. Uh, pray for a change in your soul, your disposition towards them. Call to mind what's good about them, how they, uh, how they are measurably loved and made in God's image. And then as Jenny was saying, the very act of prayer itself uh, is God's mechanism for transforming our hearts toward people. By praying for your enemy, you're actually being used by God as the answer to your own prayer for forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. So just very practically, I'd say you want to pray prayers um, like, as you said, Father, forgive them. You want to ask God to give you a spirit of love for them. You want to ask God to search your own soul and see if there is any offensive way in you, as the psalmist says. You want to pray for uh, reconciliation between you, if that's possible. You want to pray for the other person to repent, make restitution if that's needed. So those are the kinds of difficult prayers that I think form us uh, and reflect the way of Jesus. Okay. So um, moving on to our next question, when multiple people are praying over something, can it help change the outcome of the situation or is the outcome of the situation already a part of God's plan? So really there are two questions here. Why should we pray when God already knows the outcome? And also does it create more of an impact when we pray together? Both challenging questions. Um, Herein lies the paradox, this question number one, and also a point of theological debate. God is sovereign, which simply means he is in control. Revelation 21, six says, I am the alpha and the omega beginning and the end. And yet he asks us to pray. And we see examples in scriptures where God heard and responded to prayers lifted to him. I found myself on both extremes of this spectrum, believing so strongly that God is going to do what God is going to do that I've slacked in my petitioning and also believe that God hears me. I've also found myself in the other extreme where I fall into striving and there's too much focus on my obedience, my cooperation and prayer and response to God and not enough resting in him. Finding the balance of this can be so hard. And let's be honest, entire denominations have been formed over some of the differences <laughs> in these root issues. Yeah, that's true. And I totally agree with Jenny. There's, there's feels like two questions here. Um, so just to speak to what you're saying there, Jenny, um, you know, whether outcomes are predetermined or whether they're contingent, I personally want to land somewhere in the middle, um, unsurprisingly, right? Uh, there's a position kind of on the extreme end of this. There's a position, it's a minority position within the church called open theism, which denies the classical theistic depiction of God as uh, knowing and having resolved all future contingencies. Meaning that for open theism, for open theists, there are some things God does not know. Uh, possibilities are actual possibilities. Again, personally here, I don't think that's very tenable. I don't think that squares with um, the classical understanding of God as omniscient. But then you have a Calvinistic and Arminian understandings of sovereignty, where there's debate about the nature of God's foreknowledge and his determinism. So honestly, I, I, I don't know. There's too much here for this podcast probably. Uh, but if anyone is curious about that, I mean, there's absolutely no shortage of articles, videos, and books that are out there. Uh, if you want to do a deep dive into the nature of omniscience and sovereignty and then how that fits with human freedom and responsibility. Absolutely. Lots of college dorm room talks about this topic <laughs> and late night debates at the kitchen table with friends. Yeah. So lots to dig into here, but um, kind of camping out on the second part of that question, 
um, when you ask about multiple people praying over something and if it helps to change the outcome, I know that in the, 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 this is true, that the beginning of the early church was done in community. It was assumed that they were praying together and seeking the Lord together. Acts 2 paints the just most beautiful picture of this. Um, and also in Matthew 18, 20, it says, for where there are two or three gathered in my name, there am I among them. This too is a mystery. <laughs> However, if the spirit is alive in each of us, as we come together, there's a collective resounding of his spirit as we pray. And I see this when we worship together also. Yeah. The number of times that I think we've said <laughs> it's, it's a mystery on this podcast. That's immense. It's a lot. Um, so, okay. The question, right? Reframing. Does, does multiple people praying increase the likelihood of a favorable outcome? Is God more inclined to respond when the prayer is being prayed by lots of people? Uh, I want to say yes and no. Prayer is relational, not transactional. That's kind of a guidepost uh, for us all, I, I hope, in prayer. So what that means is just that your prayer is not a token in a cosmic vending machine. And if you have enough folks putting in enough tokens, then you may get what you want, right? That's, that's not how it works. Prayer doesn't affect God's will in that way. Uh, when we say that prayer is powerful, what we really mean is that God is powerful and he's graciously given us a means of participating with his work by hearing our prayers. But prayer is not itself a power such that, you know, more people praying amounts to more power. And now I say all that, and yet I, I still want to arrive at the conclusion that we should pray together and pray in unity because in doing so, we honor one another. Our prayers are like a fragrance before God and God's pleased with persistence and faith. Uh, there's a lot of research into the history of revivals or renewal movements and all pointing to the same reality that every renewal movement begins with prayer, uh, a, a collective effort, a, a collective uh, prayer movement that sort of births out the work of God in the world. So I think God desires that the heart of a community will shift toward him. The desperation for him will go viral within a body of believers that all together we would desire his presence. So I, I do believe kind of the, you know, the saying that he waits to be wanted. And when there is a community that comes together around a, a common heart, a common dependency, uh, a unity for God and for his presence and for his work, I do think God desires that and responds to that. He waits upon us to come together in that way. The desperation for him will go viral within a body of believers. I'm all for that. <laughs> Praying um, that Jesus would just come and, and heal. Um, we could talk about that for a while, right? Everything going on around us right now. Absolutely. Um, but we have one final question today and it is what scriptures can I go to that have examples of prayers? Okay. So pretty much the whole of Psalms. Uh, these are a collection, not just of poetry, but of prayers. Uh, a lot of folks pray a daily Psalm or two. Um, and then you just have all, almost all the letters in the New Testament contain, contain prayers. So honestly, looking for prayer in the Bible, is like looking for a needle in a needle stack. I mean, those things are everywhere. So of course we've been, we've been talking about the Lord's prayer as well uh, during our church's series on prayer. That's a go-to example, but, but there's lots of um, prayer that can be found throughout the Bible. Absolutely. So in addition to the Lord's prayer um, in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, there are many beautiful prayers all throughout the Bible, as you've mentioned, Luke, many of them in the Psalms. Um, I could point to Ephesians 3, 14 through 20, Paul's prayers for his friends in the church in Ephesus. John 17, Jesus prays to the Father. Luke 1, 46 through 55, Mary's prayer and song of praise. First Chronicles 4, 10, prayer of Jabez. And the very meaningful to me are the many prayers in the book of Job where he lifts prayers of lament, uh, prayers of surrender. Um, you see him praise, you see him question. 
it's all there for the taking. So I invite you to check this, those out. Yeah, that's just a, a handful to get started. Um, so that's it for now. Thank you so much for going on this journey with us, wrestling through these questions about prayer. It's been so fun and challenging and intellectually, spiritually stimulating for Jenny and I. We hope it has been for you as well. Absolutely. I've had such a blast doing this with you, Luke. So stay tuned for that bonus episode where we will talk through unanswered prayers with Brian. Thanks for joining us.